Please remain standing. Um, this is now our scripture time. Uh, we're going to be reading from the Word of God, uh, the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. If you're using the blue uh, pew Bible, it's on page 873. Once more, this is the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Chapter 14 of Luke. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There was a young man that I knew that was very insecure. And he hides his insecurity behind his achievements. God gave him the ability to multitask and to be efficient without being stressed out. And as he achieved more things, his ego grew big. And before he knew it, pride took the best of him. Oh, he likes to brag for all that he has accomplished. It was a great feeling for him to hear the oohs and ahs of others, feeling like, well, how, how could he? do so much in such a short time. Before long, he started looking down at others because they were not able to do all that he could do. And one of the common statements that he makes is, well, I'm not bragging, it's just the facts. See, the Pharisee also had a pride problem. You know of anybody? That is a pride problem. 
Well, Jesus, in our passage that we just read, will address this issue of pride. He teaches us as to how we can be elevated without making a big scene and how pride can lead to being humbled. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Luke chapter 14, and here we will continue our series on the parables. This passage uh, can be broken up into two scenes. The first scene describes the power of Jesus, which is the first six verses. And here in that first section, the first scene, it provides the context of the parable in the second scene. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And I'm reading from the NIV. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? See, there was a prominent Pharisee. They'd invite a bunch of people over for a meal. Well, this meal was a midday Sabbath meal, which took place after the morning service at the synagogue. See, the Pharisee usually only gather with people that are of equal status or, or gather with those that could elevate them. Well, let us see who he invited. Uh, we see, first of all, he invited Jesus. And then he, they invited a man suffering from dropsy. And then there were other Pharisees and experts in the law, where they basically were the scribes. And I like to kind of take a look at these invitees. We'll start with the Pharisees. We might be able to understand them a little bit more. You see, they came out of a spiritual revolt against the influence of Greek and the Roman thoughts and culture that was, that was placed upon the Jewish people. And they called upon separation. They said, well, we, we can't follow the Greeks and the Romans. And they were committed to adherence to the Old Testament law. You see, the, the, the word Pharisee in the Hebrew it means to separate. So the Pharisee says, "Why well, we need to be separated from them and get back into the law. According to the Old Testament, one needs to be righteous before God can accept them and that they could enter into the kingdom of God. The standard of righteousness was taught by the Pharisees as well as the scribes that they need to follow all the laws. Matter of fact, um, there are some 250 commands that they need to keep and 365 prohibitions to observe. If they would do all of that, they'll be accepted. That's just a lot of rules to remember in order for the people not to violate even these rules the Pharisee set up additional rules 
make sure that they did not even come close to violating the law. You see, unfortunately, the Pharisees had distorted the intention of the law. They thought that they needed to follow it to be acceptable before God. In reality, Scripture teaches us that the law is to show us that we are sinners and that we stand guilty before God. You see, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, these Pharisees mistaken thought that they can use a righteous performance for them to be acceptable before God. And we see as a result of this mentality, they became legalists. See, their spirituality is based on the outward performance. They focus on external action over internal attitude. They emphasize on external righteousness instead of internal righteousness. We understand they're totally committed in following the law. And not only that, but they went on to add additional rules and regulations. And it became a burden to the people. And these um, Pharisees, being self-righteous, would impose these teachings upon the people. Therefore, most of these Pharisees became prideful for their knowledge of the law and for their spiritual obedience to the law. And many times they looked down upon those common people because they were ignorant to the law. And as a result, these religious leaders feel more superior over everybody else. See, the Bible teaches that knowledge puffs up. We're not careful on how we utilize knowledge. Some of us here grew up in the church. We gain a lot of knowledge from the Scripture. It is easy for us to sound spiritual. We can, we can even do all the right things that appear to be Spiritual, like going to church, attending a small group, even serving in some capacity. And it's easy for us to be deceived that God will save us based upon our righteous deeds. Well, that is totally false. And sometimes we are tempted to look down at others that might not know the Word of God as well as we do. And sometimes we might be tempted to judge others because they're not as disciplined as we are because we participate in so many different religious activities. We might even impose certain behaviors upon others that are around us. Are we legalists? Are we basing our spirituality upon spiritual 
performance. What we see the Pharisees did, there were not only Pharisees present there at that meal. We see there were scribes. They were closely related to the Pharisees. See, the scribes were experts in the law, and, and they specialized in the interpretation and application of the Old Testament laws. The scribes provides the theological basis for the Pharisee teaching. And, and most of the Pharisees, as well as the scribes, opposed and hated Jesus because they saw that Jesus was teaching was an attack upon the religious system as well as attack upon them. Therefore, they were threatened by Jesus. And they looked for ways how they could lessen his influence over other people. And the question that I have as we read this passage is, why did this prominent Pharisee invite Jesus, whom the religious leaders hate? This dinner seems to be like a setup to find ways to accuse Jesus and to make him look bad. We see in verse 1 that this dinner took place on the Sabbath, which is a day that's focused upon the Lord. However, the Pharisee added extra rules, stating that one should not work whatsoever, including not to heal on the Sabbath. See, the last invitee was a man suffering from dropsy, which is a, a medical condition where the body abnormally retained fluid, causing swelling. And this is a symptom of disease related to the heart, the lungs, kidney, or liver. And the Pharisees see this as a sign of God's judgment on this sick man, and that he is unclean. Now, now that seems strange that this very sick man with dropsy was also invited to this meal. See, the Pharisee did not like to hang out with those that are unclean. And we see this, this suffering man was placed in front of Jesus. How about that? Just by chance. That seems to be suspicious. Is this a setup of some sort? In verse 1, we see that Jesus was being carefully watched, it says which has a, a, actually a negative tone of like spying. It's like looking for an opportunity with negative intent. They're looking for something to jab at them. There's something fishy about this setup. This unclean man was brought to this meal only to be used as a bait to trap Jesus. I believe that the Pharisees were setting Jesus up, hoping to catch him violating the rabbinic law, which restricts healing on the Sabbath. 
They knew that Jesus was a compassionate man, and if they were to put a sick person in front of him, that he definitely would heal this man. This prominent uh, Pharisee also invited other Pharisees as well as scribes so that they could be a witness of what was going to happen. Here we see in this section that the legalists going to work at, on the Sabbath. Now, we'd like to turn to Jesus, who's the Lord of Sabbath. Let's see what Jesus does. See, Jesus knew that the Pharisees were watching him and would object to his healing on the Sabbath day. So he turns the table around, and he sought to, instead of being trapped by them, that he going to trap them by asking them a question. We see in verse 3, it says, he asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The law did not actually forbid healing on the Sabbath. It was only from the Pharisees' tradition and the rules that they set up that is not written in the Mosaic law, to forbid healing on the Sabbath. See, if the law had opposed healing on the Sabbath, these legalists would have said something about it. But yet, we see that they kept quiet. They didn't say anything. Because Jesus had placed them in a difficult situation. The hands were tied. Instead of putting Jesus in a predicament, we see Jesus placing them in a predicament. When the religious leaders hesitated to reply, Jesus healed the man with dropsy, knowing that the only thing that he would be violating by healing this unmanned, unnamed man on the Sabbath be the traditions of the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees probably thought their plot has succeeded. Jesus has violated the Sabbath restriction by healing this man on the Sabbath. But before they could accuse Jesus, who knew what they were thinking, Jesus asked them a second question that paralyze them. Let's take a look as we read verses 3 to 6. Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed them and sent them away. Then he asked them, if one of you had a son or an ox that fall into the well, on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. See, Jesus knew that the Pharisees would rescue animals when they are in great need. Why would they object to Jesus rescuing the sick man on the Sabbath? Jesus was demonstrating the law of love. See this, the Pharisees' plan had really backfired on them. 
instead of discrediting Jesus, it only exposed their hypocrisy. We see what Jesus did as he healed the sick and discredited the religious leader. But why did Jesus, why Jesus does it? Well, Jesus um, never encouraged breaking the Sabbath law, but he taught that the law must be interpreted by love. See, Pharisees have focused on the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And as a result, the religious leaders have become legalistic. Jesus taught that everyone is created in the image of God, and they are valuable to God. And the law stated to bring glory to God by loving God, by loving our neighbor, and is not to bring glory to ourselves. Jesus was not done correcting the religious leaders. Jesus took the offensive as he condemns their pride and call for humility as he proceeds to tell them the parable of a wedding feast, as is recorded in verses 7 to 14. This starts the second scene of this passage. This section can be divided into two parts. How to be honored as a guest, and secondly, how to be honored as a host. Let us take a look in verses 7 to 9. As Jesus describes how the guest behaves as they enter this wedding feast. Verse, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invited you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Although the Pharisees were watching Jesus, in reality, Jesus was watching the Pharisees and their prideful behavior. Jesus took note that the guests when they came in, they selected their specific seats. And as a result, Jesus used the parable to communicate the important lesson of humility. You see, a parable is not an allegory in which everything has a hidden, mysterious message. It is an illustration used to communicate a particular principle. Some describes a parable as an earthly story that illustrates heavenly message. See, at a regular table in a home back in those days, it's in a U-shape. The host was sitting in the middle of the table and sitting on his right, is the most important person. And the guest that sits on his left 
It's the second most important person. So when the guests entered the room, there was a mad scramble to get to the seat of honor. It is a normal practice for the Pharisee to be seen in an elevated position. See, the, the Pharisee uses the principle of reciprocation. See, the honor guests were those who had honored the host in the past or were capable of honoring him in the future. And this whole system is based on self-promotion. It is like the principle of I scratch your back, you scratch my back. The only reason that one does a good deed is so that they might get a payback. This is not based on love. You see, love is wanting the very best for the person that you love. It is unconditional. However, we see the reciprocation principle is focusing only on self, not on the other person. Why do we do a good act for another person? Is it because we love him or do we expect something in return? Is it unconditional or is it conditional? Jesus explains how this is not a good practice because it can backfire on the individual when the host has someone more distinguished than that person that's sitting. Then the host would ask the less important person to give up his seat. This is pretty humiliating in front of all the people. And only that, by the time that he needs to get up and find another seat, everybody else already is sitting down. The only seat that is available is at the end of the table, which is designated to the least honored person. In other words, don't sit at the head of the table unless you be removed upon the arrival of someone more important. Well, after giving a negative warning to the religious leader, Jesus gives a positive advice as we see recorded in verse 10. Verse 10 says, but when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host come, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. See, a better course of action for the guests is to go to sit at the last place. So when the host notice you sitting in the last place, he said, well, hey, you, you, you need to come up to a higher position and move you up. They'll give you much honor in front of everybody. Jesus here, not just teaching the Pharisee to have good etiquette. It's not about getting applause from men. It's getting applause from God. Well, are we trying to impress? Are we trying to impress men or are we... Trying to impress God. Too often, we want status. We want to look good in front of others outwardly. 
Jesus wants them to examine their hearts and not only just their action. God knows our motives behind our action. May we do it to honor God and not ourselves. After Jesus showed the religious leader how to be honored as a guest, he goes on to explain how to be honored as a host. And we see this in verses 12 to 14. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Here, Jesus explains who we should invite and who we should not invite. Uh, Jesus uh, did not mean literally to forbid inviting to, um, your family members, friends, and rich guests to your home, or to insist that all your feasts must invite and confine it only to the poor people. But he's really teaching that no service is to be done with the hope of personal gain. What Jesus is against is limiting our guest list to those that who can repay us with a reciprocal dinner. Jesus was not giving merely rules or social hospitality. He was illustrating that the greater spiritual principle, humility, and unselfish motive in our deeds of kindness. We're not only to do kind acts so that we can be reciprocated. Humility is not serving those that we can repay. Humility is serving those who are needy and cannot repay. A few months ago, our small group um, adopted a refugee family from the Ivory Coast. I was really um, encouraged by a couple in our, fam in, in our small group, uh, Pin and Janet particularly. They really demonstrated what a great host is all about. They invited this family through a number of activities and took good care of them without expecting anything in return. That is a heart prompted by humility and love. We see that Jesus is basically saying that we should not be thinking about what is it in for us? If there's nothing that I can gain from it, then I'm not going to perform that act of kindness. Unless I receive some benefits, I'm not going to do that. That kind of service is for personal gain only. God is much more interested in our hearts than in our action. God loves 
a humble and selfless heart. And Jesus himself showed the greatest and ultimate humility and selflessness as he offered himself to pay the penalty of mankind's sin by dying on the cross. Surely we cannot repay him. And surely we are undeserved for the Son of Man to make such a great sacrifice on our behalf when we disobey him, when we curse his name. And for those that do not know Christ, I invite you to trust him today. I'd like to conclude by looking at verse 11 which is really the key verse in this whole passage. Verse 11 reads, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This principle always works. However, this is contrary to what the world is saying. Will they climb up to the ladder of success in any way possible? God makes it clear that he will reward and exalt those who humble themselves. It can only be done consistently if we recognize that we are weak and that God is strong. Too often we think we could do everything, but in reality we cannot. God's the only one that can do anything. When we humble ourselves, before him, then he goes to work. I'd like to conclude by reading two verses for you from First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And it reads, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You know that proud young man that I introduced in the beginning of my sermon? That was me. As I exalted myself, God had to humble me. It was a hard lesson for me to learn. But as I learning to humble myself, before the Lord by acknowledging that I'm really nothing. And God, in due time, will lift me up. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, um, we thank you for this lesson. We need to learn to be humble. And too often, uh, or pride take the best of us. And Lord, uh, may we seek to do acts of kindness because we want to honor you, not to gain personal glory. Father, teach us to humble ourselves before you but we know that you will exalt us in due time. In Christ's name we pray.